0: Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John, and I'm Andy.
1: In each episode, we pick a saga, discuss the story, and judge the narrative at the Saga Thing. Right. Only we don't really do all that in each episode. No, 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 not lately. We don't. We no. seem to be completely <laughs> incapable of covering a summary, discussion, and judgments all in
0: in like the single hour we've given ourselves. Well, I mean, we may have become increasingly long winded, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. I'd no? say. Okay, good. I prefer to think of it as the natural progression of podcasts. They seem to grow beyond the original scope or boundaries set in their initial episodes. Sure, sure. Well,
1: it's either that or we need to seriously get ourselves under control at some point, don't you think?
0: (laughs) As I said, I prefer to think of it as a natural progression. Okay. Well, either way, it means
1: uh, a lot more Saga thing for our listeners, which I hope is, uh, (laughs) well, I hope it's acceptable to them.
0: I think it's quite acceptable. Ah, me too. I think we should just have come up with a better numbering system. This A and B stuff is hurting our overall total. This is uh, 11B we're doing today, but I think it's actually our 20th episode.
1: Yes, it is, in fact. Congratulations on our 20th episode, John. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we're doing pretty good numbers for a podcast on Icelandic sagas as well.
0: Far more than I thought we would. Yeah, absolutely. It's bizarre. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thank you for all of our loyal listeners for sticking with us. Uh, What are you drinking from? What? Oh, this this, this is my uh, saga thing beer mug. Oh, you don't say. I wish I had one of those.
1: John, I told you yesterday that I'm sending you one for... Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I get it. All right, I'll play along. Work with me here. Well, John, you too can enjoy a cold beer from your very own Saga Thing beer mug. Now you're getting it. Try to sound more natural. (laughs) Oh, really? How? Well, you just get on your internet and go to sagathingpodcast.spreadshirt.com. Why, there's a Saga Thing store, you say? Yes, there is. We've got shirts, mugs, and even a fancy tote bag for all your Saga book-carrying needs.
0: Why, that's wonderful. I think I'll log on now and order myself a few items. Sure.
1: Now, all proceeds, which are extremely minimal, let me tell you, they go to supporting
0: the podcast. Why, I think I'll build a link to the Saga Thing store on our website, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Gee, John, that would be a great
1: idea. I mean... It's about time you started contributing something around here. What? Oh, I guess the commercial is over. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I feel a little dirty after that.
0: Yeah, wash the shame away with another drink, and let's move on to the judgments. I can do that. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Now, okay, we're assuming that if you're listening to this second part of our discussion of Cormac Saga, you've probably already heard our summary of the plot. And if you haven't, feel free to pause this episode,
1: go back, and get an earful of episode 11a, where you'll learn far more than you ever wanted to know about Cormac Ogmunderson and his love for Steingerd of the Lovely Feet. Is that what you're calling her? Yeah, although I did consider Steingird of the Unsurpassed Instep for a moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, if you can't be bothered, then you can follow the basic pattern of the Warrior Poet Saga and feel pretty comfortable with what's going on. We've got a young, unruly poet who falls in love with a beautiful maiden, her father gets angry about all the visits, and tries to force a marriage proposal.
0: Or in this case, he asks the local witch's sons to try and kill the unwanted suitor.
1: Sure. And whatever happens, we know the poet won't get the girl, she'll marry someone else, the poet will travel around and meet some kings, and then he'll come back and try to get the girl again, probably fail, then die in some magnificent way. Like being crushed underneath a Scottish giant. Yeah.
0: Is there any more fantastic way to die? Yes. But (laughs) I grant you it's unusual. Yeah. Uh, And then as always, we have seven categories in our judgment section. Mm -hmm. Best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, Thingmen, and Final Ratings. Now, that always seems like a lot to me, but I wouldn't mind pausing for a moment uh, before we start, so... Pausing? Yeah. What, what have we been doing? We've <laughs> done banter, we've done commercials, yeah. Yeah. we've done Warrior poet Saga Formulas. That's what they come here for. Yeah. The only thing we haven't done yet is actually move into the episode.
1: Mm. Well, I just prefer to see it as a natural progression, John. A natural progression. Okay, so what's this pause all about? Well, I think we wrapped up our summary without getting the chance to discuss some of the things that I think we should touch on before jumping into those judgments. Like what? Like, uh, I want to talk about the whole issue of Thorvig's curse.
0: Okay. Uh, So, for those of you who don't remember, Thorvig is the witch whose sons are killed trying to prevent Cormac from seeing Steingard.
1: Right, and when she confronts Cormac about this, he not only tells her that she'll get no compensation, he's also going to force her out of the district.
0: Which is kind of a harsh way to comfort a mourning mother. I don't think he had any intention of comforting her. No, of course not. Uh, But she retaliates by cursing Cormac's love through sorcery, Mm -hmm. claiming that he'll never enjoy Stangard's love.
1: Exactly. He tells her that she'll have little say in the matter, but the saga seems to suggest that the curse is quite effective, or Mm. at least that's the way it's often read. Okay, wait, so you have questions about the curse? Yeah. I mean, when I read it again, the saga, it just doesn't really make that big a deal out of the curse.
0: It's true. I mean, it does mention it a few times. Um, when Cormac and Steingird are all set to be married, the saga says that Thorveg had worked a spell so that they wouldn't be able to enjoy each other's love. Which is presumably, I guess,
1: why he uh, why he stands her up at the altar.
0: Uh, presumably. Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I guess what bugs me, John, is that it, I don't want to blame Cormac's ultimate failure to to entice or secure Steingert on Thorveg's spell alone.
0: Well. I mean, we know that witches' curses can be powerful in the sagas, so we can't just discount the premise. I mean, do you want to reject it because you think it's lame, or is is there something else you think is going on here?
1: Uh, uh, both, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I, I can see how the author might think the cursed love affair might work, especially if he's influenced by continental romances. Oh, Yeah, I think he and the other Warrior Poet Saga authors are definitely playing with the romance tradition. Right, but it doesn't quite match up as nicely as I'd like it to, you know?
0: I'm sure the author would be very hurt by that.
1: Sorry, author. But I'll, I'll probably say worse about the author's saga once we get to the final rating, so uh, you may not want to listen to this uh, Cormac saga author. But let me <laughs> let me put it this way. Are you comfortable blaming everything here on the witch, or is it possible that the saga author has other interests at play?
0: Well, those are two different questions. I mean, the spell is a big deal, and it, it does seem to affect things, but I would agree. <laughs> Excuse me, Cormac seems to get in his own way more often than not. And I don't necessarily think that's the result of a curse. Exactly. I mean, his dirty
1: erotic love poetry is not, as far as I know, inspired by Thorveg. Right? Mm-hmm. Cormac's just a filthy-minded guy who doesn't quite know how to seal the deal with Steingard.
0: Well, I mean, there's no question that he lacks Halfred's charm and skill at seducing a lady. Uh, but there's more going on here than just Cormac's crudeness. We also have to consider the social implications of the affair between them.
1: Yeah. I mean, isn't Cormac from a better family? Aren't there like class issues at play here?
0: Yeah, he is. Um, We spoke about this briefly in the summary section, but there are some class issues going on in this saga. Uh, There's a critical reading of the text that looks at the failed relationship as a result of social pressures. Okay, now that seems more likely. That's more what I'm interested in. Okay, but let's not discount the power of sorcery in the sagas, at least at the narrative level. Mm -hmm. uh, And yet there is something to this class issue. Cormac is from an established and well-to-do family. And it wouldn't be at all surprising if his own family pressured him to move on from his interest in Stangard, since her her family is less well-off and is not on the same sort of social plane as his. Yeah, but we never really see any of that in the saga. Mm -hmm. All we see is Cormac's weird behavior
1: and Stangard's constant rejection of his advances, uh, especially after that episode at the altar. Right. And for what it's worth, he doesn't ever seem to be terribly interested in
0: marrying her, at least that's the way I read it. He just seems to want to have sex with her. Which he never actually does, as far as we know. No, he doesn't. Uh, this isn't Holford's saga, where Holford actually manages to bet his love. Yeah, multiple times. He's quite well, the goer. But Steinbeard <laughs> has more spirit, and she isn't just going to have let Cormac have his way because he wants it.
1: True, but not enough spirit to keep herself from getting married off to Bercy the Dueler.
0: Well, but it's not like she had a choice in the matter. Uh, I'm not sure we should blame her for getting swept away by the sort of unforgiving betrothal customs of Saga Age Iceland. No, absolutely not. I mean... She wasn't even
1: asked about the marriage to Bersi. Her father, Thorkel just married her off without asking, which I think is actually one of the more interesting and teachable moments in this saga.
0: Yeah, I agree. I am mean, not sure this saga offers so much to teach as some of the other warrior poet sagas we've covered, but Stangard's character does offer uh, some useful examples for discussing marriage customs in saga literature. Right. But on the
1: negative side, we've got Stangard being forced into a marriage without her consent. Hmm. Uh, I guess on the positive side, if you want to look at the other angle, we we see that she, like a lot of male characters in the saga, has a strong sense of honor, and she doesn't take slights to that honor very lightly.
0: Yeah, I mean, after Bercy's gruesome buttocks injury, she doesn't mm-hmm. hesitate to assert herself and divorce him, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I think she uses the fairly flimsy pretense of his injury to force the issue. And all of this suggests that there are ways and times when a woman in Saga Age Iceland can assert herself and has the power to determine her own fate, but... Sometimes it looks as if marriage arrangements aren't always one of those times.
1: Yeah. And this is an issue we see quite often in medieval literature. So I, I guess if you're interested in the history of marriage, the literature of the Middle Ages has a lot to offer. Sure. So we shouldn't forget how all of this affects poor Bercy either. I mean, I always find myself feeling kind of bad for him. You know, why is that? Well, I mean, the poor guy just got his rear end sliced open down to the oh. back of his knee. <laughs> okay, you know?
0: right, at that moment. Yeah.
1: yeah, and and while he's recovering, his wife calls him Arse Bercy and leaves him. This <laughs> seems kind of harsh to me. All right, but we have to remember that she never wanted to be with him, so this is mm-hmm.
0: kind of a positive
1: outcome. Sure it is, from her perspective, but just think of poor Bercy. He was tricked into marrying her by Narfi, remember? uh, Narfi. I know. Uh... Yeah, Narfi told him there were no obstacles to the marriage. Yeah, and then Bersi marries her, defends her honor against Cormac, and then he ends up with his backside carved up in a duel. And rather than thank him for taking care of her, this woman humiliates him and abandons him.
0: Well, he should probably choose his wife better next time around. Maybe do a little research before <laughs> he uh, gets married. I guess research does pay off, students. Yeah. Uh, okay, you realize this is supposed to be the judgment section, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. Yeah. Uh. How about now? <laughs> no, know. I, I still haven't gotten your thoughts on the sorcery issue. What What have we been talking about? H- haven't we just been summarizing and digressing?
0: Uh,
1: okay. Um, let's get this out of the way quickly so we can do our judgments already. All right. So, sorcery or not? All right. Um,
0: now I have to think of an answer. Uh, I'm not sure we need to explain away either factor completely. Uh Cormac's failure to marry Stangard can be explained without recourse to magic, whether that's because of class issues or because Cormac just gets a case of cold feet. But we need to consider the possibility that either Cormac's family or independent observers might comprehend a magical influence over his Mm. decision to void the marriage. Alternatively, it's possible that Thorvig's curse is just a convenient narrative device to explain away what is otherwise some fairly objectionable behavior on the part of the saga's hero. Either way, it fits nicely into saga logic that a failed marriage, especially ones at the heart of the story, can be blamed on malign and maybe supernatural influences. Hmm. So what do you think?
1: Well, I think you're kind of being wishy-washy saying it's both there, but... I, I simply we
0: don't have to ri- explain away either one of them. It's not the same thing. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, I, I guess I really want to think that the sorcery isn't the cause of the problem, mainly because I kind of find the social and political hmm. issues in sagas much more fascinating. But in this case, I think we may be grasping at straws if we do that. I, I think mm-hmm. you pointed out before, uh, I can't remember if it was in this episode or somewhere else, but Cormac's saga is one of those sagas that's even more deeply influenced by continental romance sources than most sagas, mm-hmm. even most other poet sagas. And I get the distinct feeling that this curse is something like the reverse of the love potion that brings Tristan and Isolde together. The curse and the potion, uh-huh. they they obviously do different things, but they have a similar effect on the narrative. We get two lovers who presumably want to be together, but they're doomed by other circumstances never to enjoy one another's company. And Mm -hmm. I I think uh, Bjarni (laughs) Einerson makes a very big deal out of these parallels. Um, I don't think that Tristan – the Tristan narrative has to be the source for Cormac's failed love affair. But there's definitely a romance literature influence at play here. I wish that wasn't the case or maybe – I, I guess I don't need it to be purely social or political is what I'm saying here. I just need it to be cohesive, engaging, and cleverly written. And in the case of Cormac Saga, I don't think any of those things occur, do they? <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I guess that's my final rating, and I should, I should shut up and let you steer us to calmer waters
0: here. So your answer is to criticize the author for his narrative stylings rather than to actually answer the question.
1: I guess that's what I did there, yes. Yeah. But I, I'm saying okay. the sorcery is is the big issue. I just really don't want it to be.
0: Right. Uh, all right. I'll take that. Let's move on to our first category. Can I do just one more no. quick? First category. Best, best Bloodshed. All right. Best Bloodshed. We've got a few good options here. Uh, nothing like a charnel house or anything, but a few no. options that we can make something out of. Um I'm going to start us off. I, uh, I'm i going to nominate the first act of violence, or the first described act of violence in the saga, which is uh, Cormac's father, Ogmund, fighting a duel against a raider named Osmond Ashsides. That's and right. Lop- yeah, and lopping off his leg in the duel. I remember I was excited about this because we
1: hadn't had a saga with a uh, bloodshed in the first couple pages recently. This this
0: one came right out of the gate With some some leg lopping So this is a couple I'll just briefly read this to us Um, So uh, Ogmund uh, Went to the duel uh, As did Ashmund, And they fought The Viking presented his side But nothing could pierce him Thus presumably the nickname Ash Sides Then Ogmund swiftly raised his sword Shifted it about in his hands And struck off Asmund's leg He took three marks of gold in duel ransom
1: Pretty good. Well, you know, we've seen a lot of legs getting cut off. We
0: have. Um,
1: it is a, uh, a standard strategy, I guess, uh, for the, yeah. the the dueler or in battle to just
0: swing low. Swing Sweet low and... chariot. I really like to know, um, and I, I don't really have, you know, maybe I've just lived uh, far too uh, clean and pretty of a life. But I have no idea what kind of muscle is involved in lopping off somebody's leg. Um mm. uh, well, I'd I... like to know sort of how likely it is that these sort of sweeping blows that lop off somebody's leg yeah. uh, would be this frequent. Well, as you know, I used to uh, practice uh,
1: Japanese swordsmanship um, back in <laughs> graduate school. and uh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Yes. I, be- I believe that's how I would describe it. You practiced. I did. Uh, it's part of why my uh, left hand doesn't work quite right anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, but one of the things that we did uh, was try to cut through uh, rolled up mats soaked in water Mm -hmm. because they were supposed to be the the closest equivalent to cutting through a body or a Mm -hmm. part of a body. And I can tell you if you don't swing just right, Mm -hmm. the sword doesn't go through. But if you have your technique down and you swing quick and sharp and
0: you know what you're doing, you can cut through that limb pretty easily. Well, I think also the uh, the blacksmithing techniques for swords in uh, medieval Iceland and medieval uh, Scandinavia in general, uh, they tended to be thicker, heavier weapons. Mm-hmm. I mean, the edge of the weapon was almost incidental. Right? It, was the, it, was, it was almost the weight and heft of the weapon that did most of the damage. Right. I mean, you see a number of, of these duels where someone is magically protected, quote-unquote, uh, but uh, Cormac, for example, is still able to defeat Thorvard, in a duel, by breaking his ribs with his sword, mm-hmm. right? by just sort of hammering at him with the blade. Yeah, maybe he should have sharpened
1: it before he got there.
0: Well, uh, <laughs> or maybe he should have killed the witch instead, and <laughs> then yeah, not had to deal. Yeah, with the Yeah, that might at all. help. Uh, that might help.
1: But all right. right, so yeah.
0: So, so I want to probably not a winner, but I thought it was worth pointing out.
1: Uh, well, anytime someone gets a leg chopped off, that's always Absolutely. worth pointing out. Um, uh, one of the things that we liked most about this log, I think both of us, is uh, Bercy's injury in his duel with Steinar. Uh, Steinar is one of Cormac's kinsmen. Um, They're having a duel, and Cormac is acting as the second. And and during this duel, Cormac raises the shield, and that gives Steinar an opening. And so Steinar strikes at Bercy. It says he hit the shield rim with his sword, which glanced off the shield and onto Bercy's buttocks and slid down along his thighs to the hollows of his knees so that it stuck in the bone. And there Bercy fell.
0: That just sounds awful. It
1: sounds gruesome and awful. Yeah. Um, obviously, anytime someone gets stabbed or cut in the buttocks in the uh, sagas, it is a it is a shameful thing to have happen. Um, right.
0: But I, I mean, just even looking at the the physicality of it. I mean, yeah. a you know a sword cutting deeply from the buttocks around the thighs to the hollow of the knees. I mean, that's that's potentially a fatal injury. I mean, it's oh yeah, you know, it's the kind of thing unless. Unless you're very lucky, that severs a couple of arteries. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it, it obviously is a
1: grave injury for him, and he's mm-hmm. laid up for quite a while. Um, yep. And this is one of the reasons that his wife uh, divorces him. She sees him as less of a man. Um, mm-hmm. Again, going back to that whole you were stabbed in the buttocks things, maybe you're homosexual, um, other other kind well, of then, connotations that go with it. She she looks at him as cruelly, less of a
0: man. And What's rather that? cruelly uh, divorces him by... Naming him Arsparcy, right. Uh because of his injury, which is like, it's
1: rough. She's a harsh woman, but she never wanted to be married to him in the first place. and So this is right. a good out right. for her. So it's a very significant moment. It's a very bloody, violent moment. Um, mm-hmm. Very worth considering
0: for best bloodshed. Now, I, of course, that's a good one. But I have to look at our best moment of animal cruelty in this saga. <laughs> uh, and seriously consider its uh, potential as a bloodshed moment. Okay. Uh, this happens uh, as Cormac and his brother Thorgils are leaving Iceland on a lengthy voyage. Uh, and when the brothers put out, this is just me from the saga now, when the brothers put out from their place of anchorage, a walrus surfaced beside the ship. Excellent. I don't know if that's what a C- walrus sounds like. That's, that's what Chewbacca sounds like, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it's pretty close. Uh, Cormac fired a weighted staff at it, hitting the animal so that it sank. People thought they recognized Thorvig's eyes when they saw it. It's always the eyes. The, a- I- the animal did not surface from then on, and it was reported of Thorvig that she was dangerously ill, and mm. people say that she died as a result. Mm. It seems like you live in a very different world in the sagas, where you have to pay attention to the eyes of random wild animals oh, yeah. <laughs> to determine whether or not they are, in fact, the fetch of a witch.
1: Or well, they are the window uh, to the soul.
0: Well, that, fair enough. Uh, so. But so you've got, in this case... A witch choosing a walrus to to keep an eye on uh, on our hero. Did she uh, choose the walrus, or did the walrus choose her? I don't I actually know how this works. Is this like is this like the Patronus in uh, Harry Potter? Do you sort of you sort of get what you get? Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, well, it speaks to her spirit. Her 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 inner self is a her ape- inner self is bet- is a betusked obese yeah. sea mammal. <laughs> That's what I'm guessing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, anyway,
1: what do you got? Yeah. I want to add in the uh, the death of Cormac. Cormac versus the well, giant. Sure. Yeah. Um, partly because I just love the Scottish giant that comes out of nowhere. Quite literally, <laughs> just he's in Scotland and out of a forest, a giant rushes towards him. <laughs> I, I think the saga author needed a convenient way to wrap things up. He's like, I don't yeah, know, I think I, so. I, I mean, don't know what is, to do. Is... We're just sort of importing random bits of folklore at this point. Right. So the the saga reads, On one occasion after they had been raiding, Cormac was pursuing the enemy as they fled. But his troops had gone to the ship. And then a giant, whom the Scots worshipped as an idol, came out of a forest. <laughs> they worshipped this giant as an idol. Sure. This just sounds crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Presumably from a distance. Yeah. Uh, he came out of the forest in pursuit of Cormac, and a bitter struggle ensued. Of the two, Cormac was the weaker, of course. The giant had more of a troll's strength. Cormac felt for his sword, but it had slipped from his scabbard. He stretched out his hand for it and struck the giant his death blow. The giant gripped Cormac's side so firmly, however, that his ribs broke, and Cormac fell with Mm. the dead giant on top of him, and he could not get up. Right. And so Um. Cormac... He has a little bit of a moment to compose some poems, but mm-hmm. he does uh, succumb to the injury.
0: You know, it's been suggested that this is an element of Celtic influence on the saga mm. uh, that we're we're dealing with a moment when the saga author really is kind of just operating outside the traditions of of the Icelandic sagas and is importing materials to kind of give a sort of sense of verisimilitude to the fact that this is happening abroad. Mm. Right? These are the kinds of stories that get told. Among the Celts and Scots, and so so we see a lot of tell uh, for who dies there. Celtic giants
1: uh, running out of forests, worshipped as idols. I don't remember well, that in the Mabinogian. No, or the Toyn. I don't remember.
0: Right. No, it's a fairly unique idea. Um, <laughs> but it uh, it's it's certainly. I would say this. It doesn't appear in Norse mythology very often, okay. um, and so the Celts are sort of the. Uh, the obvious default.
1: Okay, we should throw in one more. It's not. It's not really a bloodshed, but it's an almost bloodshed. Are we allowed to consider those? Almost bloodshed. Almost bloodshed. But it's well, we an interesting almost, one. We
0: can almost consider it. How's that? I
1: only think. I only really want to bring it up because we didn't bring it up in the uh, summary section. Mm-hmm. So this episode occurs when Steingard has been abducted by the Vikings, and Cormac uh, has come to save her, and they kind of rescue her from this ship. And they have to dive off the ship after killing the bridegroom. It says, Thorgils, who is helping uh, Cormac, plunged into the water with Steingerd and swam to land. So now Thorgils and Steingerd are safe. So Cormac, like Beowulf, has a, a much more difficult journey through the water. Mm-hmm. It says, when Cormac was near land, some eels attacked him, slithering over his hands and feet so that he was pulled down. And then How do Corm- we
0: skip this in the original summary of
1: the? I don't the saga. know. And honestly, the only thing that comes to mind when I read that is those are the sounds
0: of the shrieking eels. <laughs> um, and Cormac, for those even of you who wonder, s- for those of you who wonder if this uh, podcast is a suitable replacement for actually reading the sagas, the answer is no, no. And it's because we tend to skip over little moments like this, and we're not even very uh, good at the what sagas we do. are Just full of stuff like this. Well, yes, we're also just incompetent. But right. it, the idea here is to get you interested enough to go read them for yourself. Because that way you learn about things like the Shrieking Eels of Cormac saga.
1: Right. So I, I don't think that there's a lot of bloodshed there, but they do slither over his hands. And maybe that's not going to be a winner.
0: <laughs> right, right. Um, for me, it comes down to either Bercy's buttocks or the giant. Yeah, it's uh, definitely Bercy's buttocks I, or the giant.
1: Obviously, Bercy's buttocks are more – it's a more violent episode and it's more significant to the narrative, mm-hmm. but how can you pass up a Scottish
0: giant? It's it's just it's so random um, that I can't decide if that makes me want to uh, reward it or want to punish it. <laughs> we get, what, 64 pages into a 66-page saga without any reference to giants of any sort, right? only to have one randomly run out of the
1: woods to kill our hero. Well, it's, it takes a Scottish giant to kill a Cormac, you know? Well, that's that speaks fair. to his uh, prowess as a, as a hero. And right, right. Uh, we, get, we get a double bloodshed there because Cormac does kill the giant, even though right. he was the weaker of the two. And then the right. giant crushes his ribs and falls on top of him. I think that's a good winner. We're going to see plenty more uh, yeah, buttock, buttock slicing uh, and buttock stabbing uh, in the future. Let's right. give
0: this one to Cormac and the giant. You know what? I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I think, uh, I think that Scottish giant needs to be rewarded. Hi uh, Johnny, uh, thank you very much for that. Oh dear God, I was really hoping we could avoid that. <laughs> I'll put it on my mantle.
1: Oh, I turned Irish. What? Now. <laughs> what? Oh, I'll put it on my mantle. It'll oh. it'll look great <laughs> right next to me, Shalayni. Oh
0: dear God. Uh, we'll be waiting for <laughs> anti defamation letters from both the Hibernian Society and the uh, Sons of Scotland. Uh, All right. Well, the Scottish Giant wins an award. Uh, Congratulations. Body count. Body count. Body count? Body 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 count? You know, the amazing thing is I can read the book Fox and Socks to my kid, and I can't get through, like, a line of this. I know. I know. I love that book, by the way. Oh, my
1: God. Any hoozy. So the body count for this saga is not so high, but not too low. We've, not not we've shameful, lower. not embarrassing. It's just that it's the problem is that Cormac just doesn't get around to killing as many people as he
0: really should. That's right. In fact, I don't really. Um, aside from sort of a uh, a whirlwind tour of Ireland, he doesn't really rack up much of a body count himself at all. It's just the no. uh, the saga provides him with a certain amount of death. Yeah.
1: So I, I think the number that we arrived at with some controversy mm-hmm. uh, was
0: 24. Or possibly 22.
1: And we'll exactly. Get well, that. therein lies the controversy. Mm-hmm. Uh, John and I keep going back and forth on this thing of, of what do we mean by body count. Uh, I have it as an unnatural or untimely. I think it's the, the, the phrase that I like
0: best. Untimely mm-hmm. death. And, right. I think I would come down in favor of unnatural, but I would be against untimely.
1: I think untimely is more interesting just because wow. it means we weren't expecting it. So in this case, um, the, the the two people we're, we're struggling over is Ogmund, that is Cormac's uh, father. He had a wife named Helga and a son named Frodi before he ever came to Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, and right before the journey, I think it is, uh, Helga and Frodi fall ill and die. Mm-hmm. Um, John sees that as natural because a disease or an illness is a natural occurrence right i don't um, know that you
0: can s- consider um something unnatural when a sort of infant dies uh of whatever plague or famine or whatever it is passes through um mm-hmm. it's not terribly i mean it's tragic but it's not terribly uncommon for a young mother and her infant son to pass away in the uh, in this uh time period
1: no, but it is untimely, and it does affect the right. course of this saga's narrative, which I think is important and worth considering. Right. If Helga and Frodi don't die, then Ogmund never marries his wife, Dalla, and then Cormac and Thorgil's his brother, are never born. So
0: I think that's worth considering. All right, so let's put those to one side for now, because the rest, rest of the saga we agree on. Yes, we do. Uh, we've got uh, 22 other deaths. Um, a number of deaths actually due to Bercy the Dueler. Uh, bercy has yeah. got almost as high a body count as Cormac does himself.
1: Yeah, and a little later on he brags about his, his lifetime yes. numbers of yes. 36 or something like that.
0: Right, uh, only a few of which we see in this saga. Mm-hmm. Um, so we unfortunately we don't get to count the entire 36. Something tells me that Bercy should have his
1: own saga and that... Uh, He's really the well. I don't want to give everything away,
0: but he's kind of the star of this saga. <laughs> I would tend <laughs> I mean, to agree. I mean, it's we, we've a, got
1: a lot of Cormac poems, but but Bercy's mm-hmm. the one that actually does stuff. Uh,
0: and of course, even the saga author, it's almost as if he can't he can't bring, tear himself away from Bercy That we end up following Bercy for the rest of his life. Before well, I'm not even sure if the saga returns I- to Cormac. I
1: just wonder if if he, he didn't have enough Cormac material to work with, and so he's like, "I got to fill this thing out a little bit." So I'm going to throw in these Bercy things that I've got, and he's clearly building off poems there as well mm-hmm. because he yes. kind of screws some of those up.
0: Yes. Um, but so we have uh, a handful of men killed in duels with Bercy. Uh, we have uh, Thororin and the Mighty and his three sons, whom Bercy kills in a raid to rescue a young lady. Um, and then we've got uh, uh, Cormac's killings in Ireland, where he kills uh, nine Irish warriors. He does kill Narfi, which uh, I think should count twice, just because I hated him so mm.
1: much. Uh, I wish Narfi survived this one.
0: And, of course, he kills a Scottish giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, and of course Cormac himself is killed by the Scottish giant, so he counts right. as well. And so we have a grand total of 22, plus Helga and Frodi, if we decide we're counting those. Uh, there are also a, a couple of kind of Moments when we decided We couldn't count things even though There's some pretty Clear evidence of other deaths in these Sagas uh, oh, There's yeah. a reference To Cormac, his brother Thorgils and their friend Sigurd the German Overcoming 11 men who attacked them But overcome That's unclear, that's ambiguous yeah. right? Whether they are I mean you just left, have a bunch of guys groaning
1: it. On the battlefield Exactly uh, you know.
0: Um uh we're told in the early going in the saga that Osman Ashside uh his men are killed in great numbers. Uh it's a lot of people unquote. but who knows. Right, but how many? We can't say. I
1: just feel like we should have like a credit there like uh we'll give you 10 for a, a great number right. of men were killed or something but but then we're
0: just making stuff up so right. we can't do that. Uh so, so uh, 22 counts. or 24 with an asterisk uh depending on Or just you 24 or that, uh, depending on whether you prefer Andy's uh, uh, way of counting deaths in the sagas or mine, uh, feel free to let us know. By the way,
1: from from now on, it's always going to be Andy's version or John's version. Right,
0: right. Uh, well, I don't think anything That's wrong kind of with sad. that, particularly as long as uh, you know uh, we make sure that mine's in there so that we have it right. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm
1: the one that edits the thing, so we'll just go with 24. Oh wow! So 24 All right. deaths,
0: 22 or 24, possibly 23,
1: 24 deaths. Nicknames.
0: So, in this section, we
1: like to look at the more interesting nicknames of the saga, and uh, John, you're
0: usually in charge of that, so what did you come up with this time? All right, uh, well, this is actually a pretty good saga for nicknames, uh, which on first reading I didn't think it was. Uh, some of them are kind of well-hidden, but uh, when you go through it again, you pull them all out, There's quite a pile. Uh, there's a number of names in the saga that are pretty straightforward, uh, Finn of the Fair, Steinvor, the slender-legged, yeah. Bork the stout, um, or nicknames that don't really count, like Steinar calling himself Gloom for a brief moment, mm-hmm. which is really just a you know, pseudonym, not really a nickname. There's also a fair number of people who don't get nicknames, including Cormac himself, but we still have plenty to work with. Okay, so who's uh, up first? So... So, uh, first up, I'm going to put Harold Greycloak. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, so, it's possibly one of the dullest nicknames of all time. Well, yeah, you just, uh, you
1: just went through this list of people whose nicknames Grey were fairly Cloak.
0: obvious. And
1: then mm-hmm. now your first big nickname to impress us with is Harold G- Greycloak.
0: But I think the point here is that his <laughs> nickname is sort of boring. You have to remember that this guy's lineage, he is the son of Eric the Bloodaxe, mm-hmm. uh, and Gunnhild, the mother of kings. Uh he's the nephew of Harold Bluetooth and a grandson of Harold Fairhair. Yeah, he is impressive. As Norwegian royalty goes, it's a tough list to beat, and yet when you get to him, it's Harold Greycloak. Yeah. It's not it's not a terribly exciting name, and I think you probably we're meant to understand a certain something about him from a name like that. Alright, well let's move uh, on to the next one then. Um Viggy the Shapeshifter. That's one I like. Uh this is a frustrating name because I want more to go on here. Uh, The name itself is Hamrami, uh, which can mean either shapeshifter or berserk. Mm -hmm. Uh, The overlap of those two concepts is fascinating when you're looking at a saga like Hralf Saga, Krakka, or Eil Saga, uh, where we have these figures who kind of really fall into this middle category between berserk and shapeshifter. But here we don't even know enough to know what about Vigi is so uncanny. Mm -hmm. Uh, all we know is that he scares Narfi, but let's face it, that's not hard to do no well and, and here's part of the problem of the just the,
1: the prose sections of this text that they they just nothing ever gets developed
0: right, right, exactly. So we're told that there's the shapeshifter in the room and that he's moving to block Narfi at every angle, but then that's it. That's yeah. all we know about. It. Let's get some shapeshifting uh, in there, man right. What's he shifting into, for example? Yeah, well, I'd like to know if he's, if he's turning himself into a mouse, that's not so scary, but if he's turning <laughs> himself into a bear, we have a problem. Um, all right. So um, next, uh, this is a, this is a favorite of mine just because of the the variety of names. Yeah, Bercy. Uh, we've got Bercy the Dueler, aka Bleary-eyed Bercy. Wait a minute. AKA Arse Bercy. You're not gonna give him those other names, are you? Yes, I am. Okay, go ahead. And any know. one of them? Yeah, no. Any one of these names is worthy of note on their own. Uh, Only one of them is an actual nickname. No, that's not true. All right. When when Stanger names him these things, she says that he's been called Bleer Eye Bercy. Okay, I'll give you that one, but I'm not going to give you Ars Bercy. She creates the nickname there on the spot. A rare moment when we see the nickname being created. I don't know that it sticks. All right, well, looking at them individually. All right. We'll take the ones that you accept first. Uh, We've said before that Dueler is a fairly badass name to carry around. Absolutely. Uh, The other two are obviously somewhat less complimentary. The, uh... The first is an opaque reference to something about Bercy's eyes or vision, but the second is a clear insult meant to humiliate him mm-hmm. with a reference to his defeat in the in the duel with Cormac's Uncle Steinar. But it's not uh, really a nickname so much as a name-calling. Well, it's a nickname. His, it's his, what his wife calls him. Uh, the name is bad enough on its own, but it's it's his own wife who crafts the name. I get that. I get that. Uh, I get that. And, and, of course, with the sagas, we always have to consider the sexual connotations of uh, a reference to a buttocks injury. Yes, yes. Uh, So, Bercy has a hard time of it, uh, and, you know, even at the hands of his own wife, but he does collect an impressive array of pseudonyms. Yes, he does. Whether you accept Ars Bercy or not, he's still got the other two, absolutely. Ars Bercy is
1: a hell of a nickname. I really like it. It really is. I I just don't think it's an actual nickname.
0: Well, I I think I'm going to put it in there. (laughs) Thork- I'm sure Barcy would Thorkl- appreciate that. That's part of why Thorkl- his wife is divorcing him. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. No respect. Uh, Thorkel the Tooth nasher. Oh, I love him. Uh, this is a great name, and I really like the way it's introduced. We're told in the saga that Thorkell is the son of Thorkel of Tunga, and he was known as the Tooth Nasher. Mm-hmm. Somehow that line makes it even better. The Tooth nasher, yeah. Not just Tooth Nasher. Uh, the name uh, Tangjostr uh, might also translate as tooth grinder. Which is actually the name of one of Thor's chariot goats. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's interesting connection there. Uh, it's also the nickname in this saga most likely to be used by a Scandinavian death metal band. Uh, tooth Gnasher ne- tooth or Tooth Grinder is definitely, you can see, you can hear that. Yeah, Tooth gnasher's is good.
1: Uh, with the yeah. Thor's Goats thing, uh, does this mean we can cut Thorkel up and have him for dinner and then in the morning he'll be fine as long as we keep all his bones Just together? Just don't split the bones.
0: Yeah. Nice. Uh right, what's it's next? A little, it's a little Utgard-Loki reference for those of you who are up on your Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is Onun Sioni. Onun Sioni shows up in a number of sagas. Uh, the name Sioni means eyesight, uh, probably with the connotation here of keen-sighted or something mm-hmm. like it. Not bleary-eyed. Yeah. Now, he's a, he's a pretty important figure, and we'll see him and his family cropping up in other sagas, but he's not terribly, terribly important in this one. Uh, Olaf the Peacock, who we've seen before. Uh, this, the name suggests a man who struts about, but we've always, I think you and I have both read this the same way, uh, that it carries the connotation of a flashy dresser. Yeah. And we know that several figures in the sagas make a point of returning to Iceland after after successful trips abroad, wearing these rainbow dyed cloaks. And there seems to have been a trend among some Icelanders to wear deliberately eye-watering clothes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so perhaps peacock means not how he carries himself, but what he wears. Yeah, I think that's true. We have Thorvald Tintin. 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 Tintin? Uh... Tin Block mm-hmm. uh, is the literal translation, but this name almost certainly means that he's a smith of some co- some right. sort. And presumably dirty uh, and smelly, according to the way uh, Cormac likes to play with him. Right. Uh, now, Cormac actually twists his nickname around and calls him Tin Biter in his verse, which I read as an insulting comparison to the Shield Biter as a euphemism for a warrior or a berserk. Right? So a Tin Biter rather than a Shield Biter. Right. Right? Meaning that he sort of is not... A man of war. He's a man of the smith.
1: Yeah, and he's and he's weak, obviously. And he plays right. that out. Uh, Thorvald is weak and yeah, can't really enough. do anything.
0: Right. It's, it's actually Thorvald's brother who has to go mm-hmm. into battle against sure. uh, uh, Cormac. Uh, Thorin the Mighty. If you have to have a nickname, you can do a lot worse than the Mighty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this particular Mighty, uh, Thorarin, doesn't come across as mighty in anything but attitude in this saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, he and his sons are taken out by Bercy pretty easily. And finally, we have Osmond Ashsides. Yeah, I like this one. Yeah, yeah I'm not exactly um, sure what it means. What is
1: Ashsides?
0: Well, a name like Ashsides is usually a compl- well. It's usually a compliment to a warrior's toughness or his, his ability to fight unscathed. Is it? Uh, so. Iron side, what's well, ash as in ash wood? Okay. A very hard. Okay. Almost metallic wood. Right. Not ash as in fire. ash. Okay. Good. Uh, so Ironsides has a similar connotation, right? Bjorn Ironsides, son of Ragnar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's worth pointing out, though, that Osmond takes part in two fights in this saga. He loses both of them. Oops. And loses a leg to Cormac's forefather, <laughs> Ogmund. So, it may be more about a boast than an earned reputation in this case. Well, it could precede what happens in this saga. I don't know. Well, sure. Well, did you know, so, what do you think? Did you know
1: that um, Ashman Ashside's mm-hmm. son uh, is featured in Yal Saga,
0: just briefly? This is the same son who features in Cormac Saga, or a different one?
1: Well, a Cole, his son Cole is, he's called a... So it's a different son. Yeah, he's called, uh, it just says he's a Viking. He's the son of Ashman huh. uh, Ash-Sides from Smallland. And then it goes on and he it features in this Nicely episode. Nicely done. Um, I, nice, I, nice bit of saga linking. Yeah, there you go. So um, for this one, my, I, I lean very heavily towards uh,
0: Toothnasher. It's just a cool name. Yeah, I like Toothnasher and that's one of my two. I'm going to also put Bercy up there. Yeah, I know uh, you, you want to do Bercy. Bercy the dueler and Blair Eye Bercy and Ars
1: Bercy. Well, as as a uh, uh very uh bleary eyed individual myself, uh I don't want <laughs> I don't condone the uh the the making fun or the belittling of uh vision problems.
0: I'm sorry, wasn't that exactly your rationale behind why my choice of Gris Simmons as a <laughs> thingaman was a bad choice? Because of his poor eyesight? Uh You mocked me. We're choosing a nearsighted man as a thing This is an, this is an
1: entirely new episode, so my stance <laughs> is going to be completely different. So, oh my
0: goodness! So let's give it to Toothnasher. <laughs> you know what? Because he's called the Toothnasher, uh, and because of that link that he, he shares a name with one of the goats of Thor. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to go for this it's one. It's a great one. Congratulations! I, I do enjoy Arspercy, but uh, yeah, porkle Toothnasher, well done. Yeah. I'd hate to sleep. Next uh, I look to forward. Him. Well, I, yeah, and I, I, I look forward to hearing his first album. <laughs> Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. All right, so now we have to look at some of the uh, the better lines in the saga. Uh, we're looking for clever lines and um, bits of repartee. So, Andy, why don't you start repartee. us off? Well, repartee. I, I,
1: I can't think of anything more uh, fun than... <laughs> <laughs> uh then the love hairs island poem of uh Cormac oh, dear. and narfi's dirty verses with the, uh, the sausage erects erects erect, no 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 the erect spears oh yes the, the false the, the poem aboutstained yes. Yes.
0: um <laughs> yeah you know I those are funny but I'm gonna say that they're not actually witty verses um, what the love hairs island is just it's just sexually crude it's not especially true witty. and it certainly it isn't clever because it just gets him into trouble it doesn't really uh <laughs> it doesn't cut any ice at all if anything it just ices things up further oh uh, my goodness and you're no verse as we said in the episode what what it stands out for is actually being fairly bad poetry right it's just sort of stupidly done it's and well, in fact Cormac is cruder in his own verses than, than what's being used to slander him here but he's a better poet
1: yeah, And so well, I would my say, argument uh, is
0: that his, his, he's actually offended more by being being slandered with having written a bad verse than by the sexual crudity of the verse.
1: All right, fine. You're not going to let them through. So get on with your first pick.
0: Well, OK. So I'm looking at things that are a little bit clever, right? So I will include some of Cor- Cormac's poetry. Oh, uh, well, how convenient. And Well, specifically, I'm going to look at uh, the 17th verse of the poem uh, when Cormac is talking about having heard that the sons of Thorvig the witch are lying in wait for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Stangard warns him, he responds with the, with this verse. Sitting indoors and sharpening swords is what they are doing. My enemies, sons of one churl, they will never be my slayers. And if those two attack me on my own, on an open plain, it'll be like ewes seeking the life of a savage wolf.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, Very I nice like that. That is nice. Under Under pressure.
0: Coming up with something so well, so witty. And to come up with you, know, you seeking the life of a wolf, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he then proceeds to kill them both. So this is not merely boasting. No, no.
1: It's good stuff. What do you got? One might even think that the uh, the narrative was created
0: around the poem. One might think that. One might, yes. With fairly uh, likewise, solid ground.
1: Something, something very similar, another verse. Um, this one, I think, is... Uh, I hope you'll qualify it as witty. It's the, the sausage <laughs> <Well>. verse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who's... Narfy's or, or uh, Cormac's? No, this is Cormac's. So okay. if you remember, uh,
1: they were uh, sitting there cooking um, suet and sausage and stuff like that. And uh, uh, Narfy starts picking on Cormac for being in love with uh, Um And I think he uh, shoves it, some sausages well, in his face, right? Right.
0: And he says in his own sort of bad versification, As for the snakes of the cauldron, Cormac, what do you reckon?
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that voice. I don't think it's appropriate, <laughs> but... Narfi anyway, deserves no better. Uh, I know you don't. So, Cormac is, is kind of offended, and uh, he, he composes a couple verses after uh, striking, uh, striking Narfi on the back with his axe. Mm. Uh, just the, the, the side of the axe, not the, uh, the sharp part. Anyway, he, uh, he, the verse that I like is, A cow's inquisitive feeder asked me how I liked pot snakes. <laughs> Read round the eyelids, he seems to me, from time spent at home in the kitchen. I know that that grimy, no-gooder, that bruiser with filthy matted hair, the one who manured the home fields, was treated like a bitch and beaten. Oh, <laughs> jeez. It's probably one of the better insult poems of all saga literature.
0: But it does. I mean, once again, we see that Cormac is just – he's a really kind of harsh, crude individual in his poetry. Yeah, yeah. But he's hes damn good at it. Oh, absolutely. No, he's, he's, he's devastating, but um, yeah. not a – you know, not not a man to mince words. Sure. Now, do you have anything that's uh, not a verse? I I do actually. Uh, this is a uh, I think we actually cited this one during our reading of the episode, uh, but it's worth noting again. Uh, Stengard, uh, when she's sort of long since gotten over Cormac and just finds him to be irritating and frustrating at this point, uh, this is. Uh, the night that they spend sleeping on either side of a wooden partition, when Cormac is creating uh, vulgar verses, including the uh, Love Hair Island verse, mm-hmm. uh, and she tells him, you know, that it would be better if they never saw each other again. Uh, in the morning, Cormac made ready to leave, sought out Stangard, and took a gold ring from his hand, meaning to give it to her. She said, "May the trolls take every bit of you and your gold ring." <laughs>
1: Your readings are hilarious. I like that line. I just like your woman's voice. What? It's hilarious. What's wrong with my woman's voice? <laughs> I, I imagine you going to bed with your wife like that.
0: <laughs> it's very no. freaky.
1: It. Anyway, I, I wanna give Stangard some uh some props too, and uh-huh. I'm surprised you didn't choose this one. It's uh it's right <laughs> when she's setting up her divorce to, ah, well. to... <laughs> she's setting up her divorce to Bercy. Um And Bersi's laying there kind of immobile. He's not able to move around too much, um, injured as he is. Um, And it says uh, she wished to divorce him. And when she was ready to leave, she went to Bersi and said, You were the first known. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I'm going to try. That's. (laughs) You were first known as Bleary Eye Bersi and then as Bersi the Dueler. But now you may in truth be called Arse Bersi. And she declared herself (laughs) separated from him. You never get to make fun of my women's voices
0: again. <laughs> I was just trying to do what you did. <laughs> um, I prefer to go for the, uh, the, the the kids in the hall female voices, <laughs> not the Monty Python female voices that you tend to prefer. Uh, oh, um, well, different strokes. <laughs> uh, all right. So those are all good. Uh, uh-huh. I've got one more. Okay. Uh, and I just want to uh, – this is just a sort of throwaway line, but I, I enjoy it a great deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the – ridiculously complicated rules for wielding the sword skolfnun Oh, that that's Cormac right. Format games from Skeggy. Um, and he gets these instructions and Skeggy's instructions are a pouch goes with the sword, but you are to leave it alone. The sun is not to shine on the pommel of the sword hilt, and you are not to wield the sword unless you're getting ready for combat. But if you do find yourself on a battlefield, sit by yourself and draw it there. Hold out the sword blade in front of you and blow on it. Then a little snake will crawl out from under the hilt, turn the sword sideways, and make it possible for him to crawl back under the hilt. (laughs) Cormac said, what will you sorcerers think of next? I love that. I actually really like like the responding line from Skeggy, this kind of defensive line. Well, that's exactly what will happen. <laughs> it's great. That's the winner. It's got to be the winner. <laughs> what will you sorcerers think of next? Yeah, it, it summarizes just... what every one of my students thinks after reading one of the more supernatural sagas. Right. It was just such a perfect response. <laughs> yeah. All right. Congratulations, Cormac. You won something. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, oh Laurie. All right. This is one of my favorite times in the judgment section. This That's is our just chance cause... to kick out one of the people who've been driving me nuts. That's why you're uh, just a cruel person. You like to well, send no, people off, punish them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Vote them off the island. And uh, as you know, I am licking my lips in anticipation of this of this uh this episode's outlawry. But I'm going to let you start it off. Okay. Well, I imagine
1: that you're going to want to outlaw or at least make a case for outlawing Cormac. Uh,
0: d- d- well, Cormac.
1: Cormac. Of course. You always do. Okay. You're always like, uh, yeah. who's, who can, might Andy make choose case. as his thing man? Let's uh, let's can. eliminate him as quick as possible.
0: I think it's always interesting when we eliminate the uh, the eponymous figure, the titular character, the titular character. Yes, uh, uh, in this case, I don't think fact, we do. Well, I don't know. I mean, he he commits a number of uh, we could call moral crimes, if not uh, uh, whatever violations. He's of the law. defending he, what's his. He is, as we said in the summary section. He is the most flagrant and frequent violator of the Icelandic law against creating verses about another man's wife. <laughs> he certainly is. Hardly, uh, I mean, hardly 40 some odd verses about another man's wife. In fact, two other men's wives, because mm-hmm. they're both Stangard. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is kind of relentless in his pursuit, but let me yeah.
1: ask you this. If we outlaw him, who's left to choose for Thingman? Not
0: my point, not my problem. <laughs> uh, we'll deal with that problem when we get to Thingman. Uh, okay, he's well, also let... remember he he uh doesn't show up at the marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, uh, he gets sued for uh dishonoring Stangard and her family. Yeah, big deal. Oh, well all right then.
1: I am not uh, I'm not one to to uh, outlaw heroes. Oh, well. Especially famous I, ones.
0: I would question whether Cormac is all that famous a hero, but all right. Uh oh, I'm going to let it go right. because just because I already know, I've already got yeah, I know. A heat-seeking missile. I figured, yeah, I figured we could somebody else. So you go ahead and nominate somebody.
1: I figured we could sneak this one through. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I'll nominate Thorveg, the, the witch now. She causes all kinds of problems. Ah, uh, yes. And she's a sorceress, which, mm-hmm. you know, always is worthy of outlawry or at least slaying her or mm-hmm. putting a bag over her head and pushing her off a cliff.
0: Although, in this case, you don't have to do that because you, he just finds her fetch and shoots it.
1: That's right, yeah. Just the old—I just picture this big, dumpy woman <laughs> just waddling around with her big no, teeth. That's, that's the walrus. <laughs> I know we said that. That's what's—that's what's inside of her. So, oh dear. Anywho,
0: yeah, and I think you can make an argument for Thorveg, but it's not a terribly compelling argument. I mean, she's yeah, yeah Thorveg I mean, is a, witch, a is but... a decent candidate. The only problem
1: with uh, outlawing Thorveg is that. Uh, She's just trying to make up for her
0: sons being killed, and she gets no compensation. She's bullied about Right. Well, remember, we've seen this before. If you remember in Erbiga Saga, we had Thorgrim a witch face, mm-hmm. uh, who lost her two sons uh, to uh, Bjorn, the Brethwick champion, mm-hmm. and uh, then cast spells, including a uh, blizzard. She called up a blizzard to try to kill Bjorn. Uh, we never even considered her for outlawry. No. Because right? we, we considered that she had a very good reason for what she was doing. Now, Thorgrim well, I guess... is an objectionable person. Mm-hmm. But there's justifications for, you know, most of her actions, especially her actions against Cormac. Yeah. And I suppose she does sell him a leaky boat at one point, which, uh, you know, I don't really know if that's criminal. But why wouldn't she? Right, exactly. (laughs) Now, I'm going to say that Thorvig uh, is probably not a terribly good candidate. In any case, she pales in comparison to Narfi.
1: Now, to be fair, what does Narfi do other than stir up trouble? I mean if you if He's you're interested in awful. if you're interested in outlawing people who stir up trouble, <laughs> take your own thingman, Snorri Gothi, and uh knock him out of the island, huh?
0: <laughs> I can't outlaw him. He's already one of my thingmen.
1: No, you can uh, outlaw
0: whoever you want. No, 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 no. I'm very comfortable with my thingman. Um <laughs> uh, and your your shameless jealousy is really uh it's it's icing on my cake, by the way. <laughs> I just turned um, completely against him. <laughs> Uh, no, Narfi is guilty of, let's see, what what crimes can we lay at his foot? Aside from him just being an odious human being. Mm-hmm. Um, he composes slanderous verses. Sure. Uh, technically about another man's wife, even though it's with the uh, Con- consent, consent of, of the husband. Yeah, exactly. He does actually compose a slanderous verse about somebody else's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, Cormac is guilty of that four dozen times over, so maybe we can't outlaw Narfi just for that. There you go. Uh, but, but... He's also guilty of inciting people into feud violence. Uh, Cormac
1: actually does feud violence.
0: Yes, but he's incited into it by Narfi. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it
1: never would happen if it, if Narfi right. were there. No, yeah, uh, Narfi's the one that, that sets that whole wedding up, that, that false right, wedding. Exactly. Right, exactly. He
0: establishes all kinds of uh, problems. He's essentially responsible for every conflict, or at least the origins of every yeah. conflict in the saga. Because we see... For example, with Bercy, a series of duels that come about, but they come about they germinate from the fact that he's married to a woman that Cormac still sure. thought of as his.
1: Yeah, up until uh, his death, almost everything comes from Narfi in this Yeah, saga. no, absolutely.
0: In, in spite of the fact that every plan he comes up with is woefully incompetent. Yeah. Well,
1: I uh, should say, you know, if you let him through – no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I would never take him as my thing, man. Although it would be nice to have a guy that kind of – Oh, he'd fit
0: in very nicely with some of your other men. So.
1: Really? No, I just imagine the fun of kicking him and making fun of him. And it would be a good morale mm-hmm. boost for my men. There you go. He could be, like he give you your gimp. Yeah. <laughs> and plus we could we could have him do dumb things and co- go over to your camp and and you know compose verses about you, maybe piss right, in your random, pot.
0: Right run in and slap sausages at, at us. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I think because of the amount of blood that spilled due to him. Yeah. Um I think Narfi needs to go. Uh yeah. Also I'll... also I really want to outlaw him. <laughs> All right. I will I will agree. Let's outlaw Narfi.
1: Uh, can it Excellent. be minor outlawry? Because he's not like a, a great criminal who's guilty of killing people.
0: You know what? I'm going to allow minor outlawry just sure. because, yeah, he's not guilty of any major crimes. I don't think he's worth major outlawry. No. No. I want to give him minor away. outlawry on the – I'm betting that he's going to get himself killed during the three years of his minor outlawry somewhere overseas, <laughs> thus sparing me the trouble of having to kill him when he gets back.
1: Okay. That's good. All right. So he gets a timeout.
0: Yeah. Big man.
1: I think the gods usually favor you in the coin toss and the arrangement of the Aww. sagas that we've got. And, uh, this has happened once again. You, uh, you won the sacred coin toss and, uh, you will get to go first. Now, I know that there are no tricks up your sleeve this time. We are either choosing Cormac or Bearsay the Dueler, right? Are we? <laughs> Don't you raise your eyebrows at me, sir.
0: <laughs> well, okay. Certainly, Cormac and Beric are the obvious choices. I mean, uh, the three major, uh, the three most central figures, apart from Stangerd herself, are Cormac, Bersey and Thorvald Tintain. <laughs> and I think we both agree that Tintain is not—he's not, not Thingman material. No, uh, unless you're looking for somebody to make you know sort of cheap metal trinkets for yeah. the rest of your Thingmen to wear around their necks while they go into battle. He's probably not your guy. Yeah, I'd rather have Henthor <laughs> on my side. <laughs> That's saying quite a bit. That is. Uh, so certainly we can eliminate him right away. Mm-hmm. Um, Cormac has a lot going for him, uh, unquestionably. Yeah. He is, you know, what we have to say, the, number two uh, in terms of the most famous uh, warrior poets of Iceland after Aeolskal Grimson. Sure. He's got a ton of well-known and well-regarded poetry associated with his name. Uh this saga exists largely as a showcase for his poetry.
1: Yeah, it's basically I mean, the, constructed uh, around
0: that. Right. So there's no question but that he is kind of the um uh, he's the blue chip. He's the blue stock in this uh uh saga. Uh but Bercy is an interesting figure. I mean, the, he sure you know, is. the more you dig into the saga, the more you begin to realize he's ultimately a genuinely good person. Yeah, and half the saga is uh, about him. With Right. <laughs> Which uh, is with, weird. with the obvious exception that he's a very, very violent man who's killed mm-hmm. 36 people by the end of his life and right. seems pleased about it. But like, uh, um, Greece, he's, he's an old man. He's at the end of his career, end of his right. life. Right. And, and at the end of a very successful career as a warrior, soldier, etc. Yeah. Um, it, and it's the, uh, it's the old, uh, the line from True Lies. Have you killed a lot of people? Yeah, but they were all bad. hmm Right. Everyone, Bercy kills, he seems to be justified in killing. As far as we know, he's got 36 under right. his belt. So we right. don't know all so, of. them. So of the ones we know, right, there's no we don't see any killings that seem sort of unjustified. Yeah. Maybe um the death of his brother-in-law at the end of his life is a little arbitrary. Yeah. Uh but eh, he's an old man. You got to give him his whims. <laughs> so I, I and I do like that he seems like an, a fairly honorable person when mm-hmm. when we speak to uh his introduction in the saga and he specifically asks whether steingird has any other obligations to other men before he steps in to marry her right, right. it's narfi who misleads him right exactly the, in- the implication there being that he would not marry her if she were promised another or if she were in love with someone else right and once he's given his word and everything like that
1: he's right. he's pretty much stuck with that marriage even though he realizes that she wants nothing to do with him
0: and when cormac shows up and starts acting like an arse as he does uh he responds Arse to that Cormac. by saying, Well, here's a solution to the problem. Why don't you marry my sister? Yeah. We can be right, we can be friends, yeah. we can be brothers in law, uh, and that'll solve all the problems. That he's he 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 thinks his way through a problem, he tries to find a peaceful solution, even with someone as notoriously difficult as Cormac. Right. Uh so that's that's, that's, that's admirable. Guy. Yeah. Uh there is a third option uh that you're kind of discounting offhand, which is Steinar O'Nundersen. Oh, he's uh, fine. Yeah, I mean he's you know comes from a good family. He's certainly famous in other sagas. Uh, it is uh, uh, he has a feud with one of Ael Scala Grimson's sons. Uh, he comes from a good family. He's the son of Onuncioni. Uh and he is uh, on record as being the only man to get the better of Bersi the dueler, in a duel.
1: Yeah, old Berse, and it's also wow. uh, it's also uh, kind of happenstance as the sword glances off the shield. It's not like he. Nevertheless, uh, he was victorious for for his yeah. strength. Or you know,
0: look, uh, Cormac prowess. loses a duel with Bercy because a piece of sword nicks his thumb. Yeah, yeah. Right. Technicalities look, look, you're not, you're not, it's a game of inches. The, the duel. You're not picking Steinar, so why don't you get to it? Who are you <laughs> taking here? I'm just I'm just saying that there is a third very viable option in this. You just spin those wheels. Uh, I look. I really like Cormac and I really like Bercy, both of them I, they're both great figures I don't think there's a terrible choice no right? I, I actually agree. think I actually think the coin has favored you in this case because in this saga there are two very clear choices mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's going to be true in our next episode when you get to pick first no uh but for right now um I feel like you know i've been I've been choosing a lot of prominent men famous men I've been choosing men because oh. of of the weight of their names i feel like i want to start patronizing the arts <laughs> I, <laughs> okay i need to start you know thinking about my legacy all right um, i need a man who's going to compose poetry about what a great lord i am and so i will be taking cormac ah uh, the poet that's a good as reasonable a choice man. i've got i've got myself
1: some poets i'm i'm okay Absolutely. I, see, I'm,
0: I feel like I'm short on poets so
1: far. Yeah. Well, I will, I will, uh, I will disregard all the nice things I have, uh, composed for myself about Cormac. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really think you were going to have a shot at him? Uh, I didn't know because Bercy's a great, mm-hmm. you know, as no, he, far is, as, he is. I mean, here's the thing. As far as a thing man who I want mm-hmm. to be, you know, helping me, serving me, working yeah. with me, Cormac isn't really that guy. <laughs> he, you know, he, he likes to stare at the ocean and, and compose poetry about his girl. That uh-huh. doesn't want him. And then when he gets near her, he likes to compose dirty poetry that pushes right. her
0: farther away. Oh let me be sure, sure about this. I'm choosing Cormac as my thing man. I would not leave him alone with my wife. <laughs> okay, good. Well he's not interested <laughs> in your wife. He's interested well, in Stanger. It's
1: true. He's a oh. he's a
0: one other man's wife man.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Bercy, I'm going to choose Bercy. He's the dueler. So come on, man. That's like the best thing you can have as a a thing, man. He can help me get out of trouble whenever I need him. Uh, his socioeconomic status isn't so great that I have to really worry about him rising up to challenge me, which I think is a nice thing. He may not be the Varangian guardsman that uh, that you got in Greece, uh, Samingson. Samingson, yeah. Um, but he's also better than Greece in a lot of ways. Oh, how dare you! He's a cool guy. Even in his old age, he gets a lot of stuff done. And you can't say that for old Greece.
0: I also can't ever say that anyone called him Ars Greece Because nobody
1: cares about Greece. He's like a, a non entity. You might as well have chosen Tintane. Wow. Now, Bersi, even in his old age, holds his own in battle. He forges alliances with uh with Iceland's elite like Olaf Peacock, and he's not even a bad poet to boot, so he's uh he's a good guy. Nephew of uh Hoskold, a rather famous and
0: well to do ally true. of
1: King Hakon. So That's all right. in all, I think I could do much worse than uh Bercy for Thingmen. I'm quite pleased.
0: And I have no doubt that you will in the future.
1: <laughs> all right, so Bercy for me, Cormac for John. Excellent.
0: Final like raid
1: final ratings it's time for us to mm. judge the saga john we've put it on trial we've heard all the cases we've outlawed narfi we've chosen our thing men thank god what are we going to rate this most famous saga a saga that is taught quite frequently it
0: is actually for what reason i don't Uh-oh. know no, i've never actually taught it no me neither and i don't plan to huh so what's up with that uh, all right, so uh, should I go first? Yeah, why don't you go first? What are you going to give it? All right, I'm going to keep this relatively short. And yeah, right. Uh, I can remember reading Cormac in grad school and just being completely at sea and frustrated for most of its length. And then uh, you Cormac learned to read. Tra- well, <laughs> right. It was a shame. I kept looking for the pictures. Uh, Cormac keeps dropping out of the narrative. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a near complete cast change halfway through the saga. Uh, weird bits of continental influence are scattered around. And ultimately, for me, Cormac's refusal to marry Stangard makes him look less like the tortured victim of a witch's spell than a snotty son of privilege refusing to get serious with a social inferior's daughter. Now, I tracked down my notes from that first reading of the saga, and they are angry. Mm. I'm going to lie to you. Well, that's part of the, um, the time of your life, too. Well, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so I didn't enter into this one full of hope and anticipation, but I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed myself this time around. Uh, William Sayers has said that the this uh, the poet sagas uh, rely on what he calls fracture effects for their dramatic weight, uh, on the disruptive quality of the poet in his social world, as well as the disruption of the prose narrative with poetic verse, hmm. uh, which is nice. Uh, and maybe I'm just developing a greater appreciation for that sort of thing as I'm getting older. Like Greece. maybe may, maybe like ale Scala Grimson, okay. I'm eager for ways to shake society's foundations. Oh, well. Anytime I can compare myself to Ale, I will. Okay. I'm also prematurely balding. uh, And a homely fellow. Uh, Oh, please cut that out. Uh, Whatever the reason, uh, I remain skeptical of Cormac as a saga figure, even though I chose him, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like him as a poet figure. uh, But as a saga figure, he's still problematic. Uh, But I'm I'm much more impressed by Staingard, by Bercy, and by the saga writer. Yeah, me too. Who I now think is doing a really nifty job of mediating the expectations of a Saga audience while exploring some not very Saga-y storylines. So I I was going to give this a 7, but even on a second reading, I have to dock at half a point for the total randomness of Cormac's Death by Scottish Giant. So 6.5. That's my rating. Really? A 6.5 for this thing? Yep,
1: Yep. That feels awfully generous, John. And, and I think All right, go for you're it. even admitting in, in your rating the, the flaws mm-hmm. of this. And we've talked about the flaws of this. So I'll just, I'll just keep going with it. Um, I wonder if I'd feel the same way about my hatred for this thing. Although I, maybe I shouldn't say hatred. <laughs> Hatred's a little strong. Um, but but frust- now you can't ever teach it. Your students will hear this. <laughs> but frustration and disappointment is, I think, an appropriate thing. But if if we had uh, recorded this the same night that we did our summary, when I had just read mm-hmm. the thing, maybe I would feel a little bit differently. Because I I think when I read it uh, again, I liked it quite a bit. And now as uh, time has passed and I've got a little distance from it, I don't like it all that much. <laughs> um, uh, to be honest, I I don't know how this saga earns more than a five. It's mm. it's like a total mess. Well, I just told you. No, it doesn't work. I mean, sometimes (laughs) this saga gets a pass despite its obvious narrative flaws simply because it was Mm -hmm. once thought to be a very early example of family saga literature. But that saga theory doesn't hold up as well as it once did. And so I'm just going to judge it on its own merits. Now, I can appreciate some of the complexity of the issues at play in this saga. And I think it's perhaps useful for discussing marriage and women's place in Icelandic society. Mm But I don't think it's a very effectively wrought story. And as much as I love Bersi, that whole section of the narrative just doesn't fit. It's like the saga is written as a biography of Cormac, but we don't really have enough material to work with. And so we insert this mm-hmm. whole uh, Bercy section to kind of flesh things out a little bit. It's a, a saga that's loosely constructed around this series of poems that they had lying around. And here, for me, is the biggest problem the prose, the narrative of the poem doesn't always read the poetry properly. And I'll talk a little bit about that in our saga brief on Scaldic poetry, but for now mm-hmm. I want to use this very, very good example. In the long section, the Bersi section, we find an interesting and kind of funny poem, presumably composed by Bersi himself. Um, this is uh, verse 48 uh, in page, mm-hmm. on page 42 of, of the Sagas of the Warrior Poets. Um, in the context of this saga, it just doesn't make sense The poem reads like this, and the the context is that Bersi's hanging out with his uh, foster son Haldor, this is the son of uh, Olaf Peacock, and um, there's a line about how Haldor doesn't like how Bersi manages his property, and after that, Bersi spoke a verse. Both of us lie on a bench together, Haldor and I, unable to move. Youth does this to you, and old age to me. You've hoped of better things, but I, none at all. And Haldor said, I don't like Vali, which is kind of funny. Um, Here's here's the point. That poem doesn't make any sense. What's he talking about? Haldor can't move. And they're both lying on their backs on a bench. Now, if you go and read uh, uh, Laxala Saga, you'll find this same poem. You'll find Bersi, once again, the foster father of Haldor. But in that Mm -hmm. case, Haldor is an infant. And there it starts to make sense. You have a very, very old man lying on the ground and a very very young man an infant lying on the ground and neither of right. them can quite move now whoever wrote right. this saga doesn't seem to get that that's probably or most likely what's going on in the poem they just
0: invent mm-hmm. this crazy thing or just jam the the poem in and for for that kind right. of reason because the because the narrative requires that Haldor be capable of helping Bercy with his final yeah. act of violence exactly so it's it's so he can't be an infant in this saga he can't but but i they're like i have this poem
1: about right. Bercy and Haldor so i'm going to use it I just right. don't know how or where to put it in. So there's a lot of examples like that. It's it's just poorly constructed, John. It's not very good. And there's so much mm-hmm. better examples. If you're looking for all the things that this this text offers, go read Halford Saga. Go read one of the other ones <clears throat> that we've done. They're they're just better. They they offer the same stuff and more. So with that in mind, I'm going to give this like a a four point
0: five. Hmm. All right. Okay. Um, so that's a a four point five from Andy. A six point five from me. Uh, so what is that? A total of 11, 11. Uh, and, uh, so that's, that's pretty middle of the road. That's right. Uh, but feel free to tell us why, uh, we're wrong or more to the point why Andy's wrong. Uh, and you can do that, uh, on any of our many social media. Yeah. Uh, Andy, take yeah. it away. Yeah. As
1: always, we, we do appreciate your support and you can keep in touch with us and give us your responses or reactions on Facebook or Twitter and be sure to rate our podcast on iTunes to help promote the podcast some more. Now, we'll be back after the holidays with a new episode. It's either going to be a saga brief on skaldic poetry or the penultimate warrior poet saga, Bjorn, the champion of the Hitleral people. Until then, stay warm and cozy. Bye for now.
0: That sound is... Cormac? Those are the shrieking eels. If you don't believe me, just wait. They always grow louder when they're about to feed on human flesh. <laughs>